Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I know you're going to hate me for saying this, Brad, but I genuinely feel like we need 20 more episodes to properly cover what could happen in the draft. Like, I'm in shock that we're already at the draft preview because it's too wide open, especially for Detroit at 9 and 17. Please no. (laughs) We've cumulatively, over the last seven years, if we had to actually map out the amount of time where we've given up on a Red Wings season and started covering the draft, it's too much as it is. It's probably a toddler. That amount of time is probably going to school next year. At least. I was going to estimate higher than that, but yeah, you're probably yeah. probably right about right. Fortunately for you, I think this draft is going to remain wide open until you know we get to the draft floor, so... Uh, as much as we love exercises and futility on this podcast, it is time to uh, get down to brass tacks. Folks, welcome to, we, <laughs> I always talk about like our annual big episode about the NHL draft, and that's because the Red Wings have been bad enough where these have been big since we started the podcast eight plus years ago. But welcome to one of our biggest episodes of the year, as has been the case every year. I hope in the future that changes. But uh, for now, our 2023 NHL draft preview episode covering what's to come in the NHL draft, specifically from the lens of Steve Eiserman and the Detroit Red Wings, but uh, from a league-wide view as well. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, as you can guess, draft, draft, draft. Everything about uh, what's to come on Wednesday and Thursday and what's highlighted as the uh, Connor Bedard draft, but we all know the real action is going to start at pick two onwards. So it's everything from little mini prospect profiles to strategy to rankings to you know maybe even an ad hoc mod- mock draft. Uh, we're going to be talking the possibility of trades, what's going to happen not with just not, uh, picks 9 and 17, but Detroit's three consecutive second round picks. How are Eisenman and Draper going to approach everything? It is all things draft and then more draft. Before we jump into it, though, I want to let you know of a couple things. Uh, if you like the Winged Wheel podcast and you want to support us and you want to go above and beyond, uh, patreon.com slash podcast. Become a member of the uh, so-called Dub Dub Club. You get access to benefits like our Patreon-exclusive uh, overtime bonus episodes, as well as our Patreon-exclusive Discord community, and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority of them going directly to our beautiful, beautiful Patreon supporters. So, if you're able and you want to chip in, patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, one of the things that uh, contributing to the Patreon also allows us to do is support the Jamie Daniels Foundation in their fight against substance use disorder, something that uh, we're really, really proud to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Um, we tried to tie in that charity initiative uh, with almost everything that we do. And we also want to point to Saturday, August 26th, which is the roast of Thomas Holmstrom and the toast of Nicholas Lidstrom. Uh, at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, again, that's the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom, respectively, uh, presented by Trinity Health at Motor City Casino. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your ticket. There's a couple different levels of tickets. One of them includes cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, uh, the dinner and an auction. Uh, there's also a, a lower price point ticket as well, if that's something that you're interested in. But get them because they are 
going fast. All right, Brad, give us the uh, entire prediction of what's going to happen in the 2023 NHL draft and don't get a single thing wrong if you don't mind. Um, that player you really, really, really want your team to draft, they are definitely not drafting him. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty much what we've learned. So this draft, I, I mentioned at the top, it is wide open. And I think it's wide open for a few different reasons. One, there are a ton of players, call me naive, and genuinely call me naive if I'm wrong, but I feel like there are a ton of players who in other years would fit into the top 10 and maybe there are like 15 or more than 15 of them this year. That could just be, you know, everyone is glowing a little bit because they're sitting behind Bedard, Michkov, Carlson, Fantilli, and then if you want to extend to, you know, Smith and Reinbacher, depending on what flavor uh, you have in your rankings. Like, But I genuinely feel like there's so many players who are just on the outs of the top 10 in a lot of rankings, but just because this year is so saturated. Two, Detroit is situated at essentially the perfect spots to capitalize on being able to get a good player, but they are still very much at the mercy of the teams ahead of them. And they're not, let's make it clear, they are not in the mix, barring them doing something or something crazy happening for one of like the bona fide top tier players. Like they are, who's the the first tier after Bedard, then probably a little mini tier after that, and then Detroit pretty much decides, has anyone fallen out of that little mini tier or who are they going to take from this big pool of like, a dozen guys. And that happens at 9 and at 17. And third, trades. The NHL is is moving in the trade space right now. We're not going to cover it this episode because it's just too much draft stuff, but you know, there's a uh, uh, Philly is, is making moves, LA is making moves. The Red Wings are in on players from Philly, the Red Wings are in on uh, uh players from Ottawa and Alex Dabrinkit. Detroit has a ton of assets as well. They have the three consecutive second round picks. So you know, we could get to the draft floor and Steve Eisenman and, and pretty much every GM will say nothing really happens until the draft floor. We can get there and we could be sitting here for our live stream. By the way, we're live streaming on Wednesday night for the draft starting at 7 p.m. So uh, youtube.com slash winged wheel podcast. Um, it's a blast live streaming the first round, but we could be sitting here on the live stream, get to pick eight and then they'll make their pick and then you go to pick nine and oh, Detroit's traded it because it's part of the uh, Debrinket trade, for example. There are a million possibilities, and I feel like this year is a confluence of every single one of them in one draft class. Yeah, it. I think an example we used months ago, which probably is the best way to describe at least that tiers thing you were talking about. This draft has a big five. And any one of those five in the previous two drafts at least would have went first overall. And because there's five of them in a singular draft, that has the cascading effect down the rest of the draft. So if you take four of them out, have a regular number one, and then you rank the draft from there, that's about how a normal draft falls. So a guy you would normally get at five is going to be available at nine in this draft because of that, you know, pushback effect. Now, obviously, that's not a true one, true comparison of how it actually works, but that just speaks to the depth of the draft. And that's kind of the way I've been looking at it. So, you know, the Red Wings could get a, we'll call it Lucas Raymond level player at nine, whereas the Red Wings had to pick fourth to get him Yeah, when they did get him. So, you know, couple that with the uncertainty of the trade market, especially with Detroit for once actually being in the middle of a lot of these rumors for good reasons, man, it's, it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen. And that's not even factoring in the Shroud of Eisenman secrecy that is always around this. 
I want to put this out there because I, I want to inform the listeners with what we know. I've heard like the chatter we're hearing around the draft is always minimal when it comes to the Red Wings. If you remember, the cider news got leaked only because Detroit was trying to trade back because they thought they could have him a little later. It got leaked through Vancouver and like Canadian media markets are just classic. Yeah. So Vancouver is the that's where it leaked from. And pretty much most Red Wings leaks come that way. Um, <laughs> I heard from someone in a Canadian market uh, about Detroit liking a player and they said, they like this player. It's not the only player they like. This is literally just like one tidbit of information that I came across. So I don't I don't want to put this out there as this is Detroit's preferred pick. I don't want to put this out there as, you know, this player is head and shoulders above the rest in Detroit's mind at 9 or 17. But it's almost non-news, but Hanzik is a guy um, that's been uh, linked as, yeah, Detroit likes him and he's very much, very much fits their bill. But. I think any one of the dozen guys in this space could also do the same. So that's almost all we're working with in terms of information. Everything else can't be substantiated. So consider this draft as wide open as any has been for us. And I also, before we get into the players, I think pick nine this year is a lot closer to, you know, think of the vibes of taking Dylan Larkin in the mid first round or when Detroit used to pick in like the early 20s. Not in that that's the value of the pick, but in that that's how wide open it is in terms of who you can select. Even like past the, you're going to see maybe some surprises in the top five or six, depending on what your personal rankings are. But you know the general mix of guys who are going to go there. Detroit could take Hanzik, Matthew Wood, Oliver Moore, Simashev, Danielson, uh, Barlow, Benson, whatever. And any single one of them in my mind has more or less an equal or an an equal range of uh, a case of arguments to justify that pick. Like what I'm trying to say is you can go out a lot of different directions and it would be perfectly fine. And a guy who's picked ninth isn't necessarily better than 13th, isn't necessarily better than 17th, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There's been reputable uh, people in the hockey world who have done mock drafts, who have taken players that are my preferred picks uh, for the Red Wings at nine at 17. Because it's the hat wide open. And again, I talked about how this draft is so deep where you, you could get a Lucas Raymond level player around pick 10. Like you could probably even go back a few picks and still ha- very much have that argument about where would these guys go in previous drafts. And, you know, it's a good problem to have because there's always surprises at the draft floor. A guy you have rated 25 is going to go, you know, 14 to Pittsburgh or something like that. Mm -hmm. It always happens. So we're sitting in a scenario where you could, or we could, or anybody here have one of their top 10 ranked prospects picked by the Red Wings at nine. And then another one of your top 10 ranked prospects at 17. Um, You know, Max and the athletic guys did a mock draft at uh, last week on their podcast and Sandine Pelica and Oliver Moore were available at 17 which would be a phenomenal outcome. And, you know, mock drafts tend to have less variance than the actual draft itself. So, you know, in terms of quality of player, this is actually a a phenomenal year to have 9 and 17 because not only could the Red Wings draft two phenomenal players there, as we mentioned last episodes, if there's a trade in the works, someone very high up on another team's board is likely going to be there at 17. And 
you know, the one thing we have to keep in the back of our minds this whole time too, and I always remind myself of this, at each of the Red Wings first round picks, there is going to be a player I really, really like. And the same thing is going to happen to you, listener. They are definitely not going to pick them. Brad, the anti-scout. <laughs> Strikes again. <laughs> they, it's going to happen. And well, you got to be ready for it. Actually, uh, so we were out. I was going to say a nice sunny day on the golf course. It was raining. What's well, the opposite of that? Yeah, that's where <laughs> that's where we were out. And Evan actually just blurted out. He's like, I had to go back and watch so much more video because I just didn't know what I thought. And I'm not going to spoil what he said, but I, I still don't. That's a spoiler. Oh, you! I don't know. You've come off. You've changed your opinion since we talked. No, I haven't. But uh, I still don't know. <laughs> Evan, Evan is I. I this feels like another Evan Lobstradamus year, where Evan just makes a prediction and he knows. Anyways, I won't spoil what it is. Let's get into talking about players, and I'm going to lead with Bob McKenzie's final draft ranking, and a little bit of an explainer here for those of you who don't know. This isn't Bob McKenzie's evaluation of the players. This is Bob McKenzie's uh, uh, sources, basically scouts or people in draft-related uh, positions or front offices, and he formulates what he roughly thinks the ranking is across the actual league's scouts. So this is the best view we have into what the NHL is thinking of these players. So in order, I'll give like the top 20 or so here. Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Michkov, not really surprising. Leonard, Dvorsky, Reinbacher, Zach Benson at nine. So that's the Red Wings pick, hypothetically. Gabe Perot, Matthew Wood, Colby Barlow, Oliver Moore, Axel Sandin Pelica, Braden Yeager, Nate Danielson, Sam Honzik at 17. So that's the other hypothetical Red Wings pick. Otto Stenberg, Dmitry Simashev, Tom Willander, Callum Ritchie, Daniil Boot at 22. My biggest takeaway is there are very few surprises in there. I was actually shocked that Reinbacher was as low as eight because I think we're low on the defenseman in this draft. A lot of consensus has him going top five or six. We, Brad, I think you and I had him like 12 to 14-ish. Yep, I think I have him at 13 on my list. And so, but other than that, not really any surprises in terms of what the league is actually thinking coming into the draft. No, and again, it's only 10 teams, so he's only, he's only serving a third of the league. But the thing that happens over time as scouting departments improve, as analytics in these departments gets more advanced, and as hockey just in general seems to form more consensus, is over the years we've seen less surprises in terms of these lists because you're building a large community list. The variance always comes on individual lists, but for the most part, the majorities still play out. So if I like Zach Benson and you like Zach Benson, without knowing Evan, there's probably a really good chance he likes Zach Benson. And if he doesn't, he's the outlier because the other next six lists are probably going to agree with us, hypothetically, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, Bob's, Bob's list is always the most reliable in terms of what's actually going to happen, but it's always off. And because no list is. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, I, I always reference back to the Cam Fowler draft where he was like a consensus top four pick and he ended up going like 12 or 13 to Anaheim. And someone did a deep dive into it, into why that happened. And the conclusion was, you know, without, it wasn't an exact science, was after talking to a lot of teams who passed on him is he was second on their list. He was second on their list. They just liked one player more. It wasn't like they were way down the list. It was yeah. not, it's not like the team picking at six had Fowler Ranked 14th. They had him ranked 
second best on their list versus what was left. And stuff like that happens and guys fall and it just takes one team to like us, Sam Honzik, and all of a sudden he's a top 10 pick despite being, you know, the 17th ranked. Mo Sider, we're Red Wings fans. We're not new to this. So despite how predictable Bob's list kind of broke down in the wash, I'm going to repeat this probably a couple more times this episode still. Expect craziness. Everything we say is going to be thrown out the window. We're doing this to give you previews, insight, who are the players, how does it affect the Red Wings? We're going to be wrong. Oh, yeah. We're not even going to be close. Uh, If we get the top eight players correct, even in the wrong order, that's a miracle. We're doing phenomenal at that point. You know what I mean? So it just takes one team to go rogue and everything has a massive trickle-down effect. Because again, and I mentioned it earlier and I'll bring it up again. Let's say Ottawa really, really likes Matthew Wood. And Matthew Wood's what? Like the 12th ranked prospect on Bob's list? If he's the second guy on everybody's list 11th, from 12... Yeah. yeah, he's 11th. Yeah, so if he's the second ranked guy on everybody's list from 11 to 16 and he's sitting there at 17... Maybe that's what it takes for a Debranca trade to get done. Yep. You know what I mean? It, it's yep. all on the table and we won't know. So even though I made a joke about how sick of draft coverage I am because of how much we've had to do it over the years, this is why it's amazing. This is why it's fun. Because not only A, does all of this have huge ramifications on franchises for years and years and years to come. Nobody knows anything. It's literal, true, unexpected entertainment. That's a great kicking off point to start talking about the players. So I think what we should do now is give a quick summary. We've done full prospect profiles on all these guys. Um, so we'll spend a little bit longer on the guys who are more relevant to the Red Wings, but we're going to talk a little bit about everyone. Connor Bedard, a couple lines, the best prospect to come through the draft since Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, does it all. Unreal release. He's going to change Chicago's franchise, and if he doesn't, if he doesn't become... Chicago's best player comfortably, then he's a bust, and it's one of the biggest busts in NHL draft history, plain and simple. He's their best player right now. <laughs> yeah, he actually is. Like, unironically, I think Evan would have a shot at being the Hawks' best player right now. Don't do it. I'll try not to. Yeah. The offers have been very well received. Uh, really, the, the Hawks can afford your rates? We hardly can. Barely, yeah. barely. So that's Connor Bedard. They won the the Bedard lottery. They're very happy. That's uh, Connor Bedard. Adam Fantilli out of Michigan. Your 200-foot ultra-competitive do-it-all center. What team doesn't want that? High offense, high motor, high compete, very well-rounded game. Adam Fantilli was the guy who we were like, if it's not Bedard but Detroit wins the other lottery pick, like he would also legitimately change Detroit's franchise. I'm not going to sit here and complain about that, but would have been nice. Uh, I don't know that he's definitely going to go second, but I I think that's the pick if uh, it's in my shoes. Leo Carlson. And I will say, even ranked third here, I don't think enough is said about Leo Carlson. Uh, well, if you like Alex Barkov, you know, Leo Carlson's very much in that mold. You know, you're 200-foot center, huge, very gifted offensively, very high hockey IQ. Doesn't have the foot speed that Fantilli has, which is probably why he's ranked behind Fantilli. Uh, in most rankings, but beyond that, yeah, there's not a lot that separates them. And then Will Smith, the other center coming out of the USN TDP. Uh, one of the smartest players in the offensive zone in this draft. Uh, just high, high, high hockey IQ, high, high end playmaking. 
You know, you get the puck on his stick anywhere in the ozone. Something's going to happen. He's a so. playmaker that scored 51 goals. Yeah. it's That's just how good of a playmaker he is. That's like when people talk about the playmaker archetype, but they, they want to like have their cake and eat it too with the prospect. They're like, he's a playmaker, but he can score a ton too. And it's like, you're like, this is a fantasy land. The guy, this like prospects generally don't do this. Will Smith actually does. Yeah. Matt Vemichkov. And this is one where I still think it's very, very, very unlikely the Red Wings get him, barring a trade up. But of the top five ranked here on Bob's list, this is the the one that I think is possible that Detroit gets him. Well, based on the rumors that have been coming out recently, uh, connecting him to Philly and Washington, I'm going to say it's not happening. And it was a long shot to begin with, but simply put, the second best player in this draft. Uh, unique circumstances have really jumbled him up on boards. Um, some teams won't even consider it. Other teams still have him as the second best re- prospect because if you're talking talent and offensive ability, it's Bedard, him, and then the field. That's the reality of it. But signed for three more years in Russia, you know, there's that whole thing going on over there right now that also complicates things. Never has seen a civil war start and end in one weekend. No kidding. <laughs> They're efficient. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Michkov is in Nashville, or I don't know if he's in Nashville, but he's in the States right now. Yeah. So Meeting with teams, which is a big step. Yeah, because that was a whole complication. Teams couldn't really talk to him, and it, it, there was r- different rumors for why, if that was a Michkov thing, if that was a non-Michkov thing. But either way, teams are finally going to get to interview him, and there's been a trillion rumors around him. Who knows which of them are true, but yeah, I mean, the talent is undeniable. If like It's actually really funny because Bedard's shooting and his release is obviously one of the highlights of what Chicago's going to get from him, and I, I think that's led to... Michkov's scoring ability being overlooked too. The amount of shooting a ta- shooting talent between those two guys is unreal. Like those could both very well be, if they pan out, regular fifty goal scores in the NHL or players who should threaten for it. Like, Michkov's range of how he scores goals is more impressive than Bedard. Bedard obviously has the shot, and Michkov's shot's great, but it's not. It's not Bedard. No, no. But if you're talking different areas in the offensive zone, different ways, different scenarios to find the puck in the net, yeah, Michkov's got a, a way, way bigger repertoire than anybody else in the draft on that one, including Bedard. I mean, I think he's got over a half dozen Michigan goals to his credit already. Like, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter where he is on the ice. He's getting that puck in the net. So that's Michkov. Uh, you mentioned the rumor. So everyone says, you know, even if Michkov falls, it won't be past eight um, to Washington. Philly has mentioned a couple times uh, in one way or another that Michkov is uh, a player that they're very interested in. There's speculation that a team that would be happy to draft Michkov, even if they couldn't meet with him, is Philly, which, and I think Washington is going to be. If that's who they have their eyes set on, they're going to be trying to move up. So, you know, those top five or six picks, especially looking at Montreal and Arizona, those are going to be valuable. And you're talking like picks seven and eight are going to be trying to move up to picks four, five, and six. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. It's a little bit painful that this is all happening just outside of Detroit's range. Like everyone says the hard stop is Washington at eight, but you never know. Detroit could make a move here. That said, 
there are complications. As Brad uh, mentioned, he signed for three more years in the KHL and barring some kind of like nullification of that contract, we don't have any indication of that being the case. And I don't think Russia's very keen on letting their biggest superstar to come through the league go to the United States who have levied sanctions against him. Everyone understands this isn't likely that he's going to come over early. Also, not meeting with every team or being harder to meet with means player or teams are only really getting to know this guy right now at best for the most part. He could slip. He could fall. Uh, but the talent is immense. It's not immeasurable, but it's very, very high, as Brad said. So I'd be very much in favor of Detroit. Personally, I'd be very much in favor of Detroit moving up to to try to get him. But at the same time, I know those complications make it iffy, and I wouldn't blame any GM for being squeamish to give up big assets to move up to get him. Yeah, but it is a truly unique circumstance. You know, Red Wings aren't going to have a shot, a realistic shot to get a player of this talent, probably again with no. the way their trajectory is going. Watch Anaheim take him second. Oh, I'd love it. That would be the biggest baller move from Pat Verbeek. You're like, ask your scouts, forget everything else. Who is the second best player? Matt Vemichkov? Cool, that's who we're drafting. End of discussion. And it's not even a crazy thing to really think could happen. No. What you're telling me, one of I, the Iserman disciples uh, kind of marches to the beat of his own drum and just picks who the hell ever he feels like is the right pick? Yeah. And that's not, like, Pat Verbeek's been, he was called the little ball of hate. Like, he does what he wants and he has his entire life. Just coming out of Iserman's, you know, professional tree is uh, a little bit of a bonus, a cherry on, on top for that. Now, that's the, the top five. In Bob's rankings, the next up is Ryan Leonard. And Leonard is in a tier of, I think, two players, maybe three, who I think are very unlikely to make it de- to Detroit. But I think Detroit runs to the stage if they're there. And I'm I'm pretty much the same thought on two of them. So Ryan Leonard is the first of them. I Leonard and Dvorsky, for me, are, are together in that tier personally. But who is Ryan Leonard as a player? And why is his archetype so attractive right now for the NHL? Uh, because Matthew Kachuk, just so hot right now. Yeah, honestly. And teams are going to be trip- tripping over themselves to get that type of player, and that has benefited Ryan Leonard's draft stock. Now, obviously not a one-to-one comparison. What I'm referring to is that hard-nosed, offensive, you know, gritty, high-compete winger who can score. That's Ryan Leonard. Him and Kachuk don't do it in the same ways. Ryan Leonard has... Uh, a way better shot and Kachuk's a little bigger. Uh, but this is what teams want now. This is what every team values. You know, we it's not good enough to just be good. When you have those intangibles that Ryan Leonard have, it is extremely attractive in the modern NHL, despite the fact he's not like a burner, which is the other trait teams always trip over themselves for. But yeah, um, this is probably the range where of prospects where we start talking, okay, could slip to Detroit. Not betting on it with Ryan Leonard. I don't think he gets past seven, but you never know. Ryan, Le- he's not a big guy, but he plays big. And like you said, plays strong, hard-nosed game. Also, there have been connections to him in Montreal already. So Yes, Montreal has been rumored to, to really like Ryan Leonard. And I don't hate that pick. I, I don't necessarily make that pick if I'm Montreal, but I think you could do a lot worse and taking Ryan Leonard. I'm sure they're looking at Ottawa going against the grain, taking Brady Kachuk all those years ago in the Zadina draft, and that worked out great for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Ryan Leonard is very much on the spectrum of uh, players who go in different directions in their rankings. The Leonard archetype goes higher, and like the the Benson, DeBrinket, 
archetype goes lower. Not that Benson and Dabrink are the same player, but I'm just talking size-wise here. But yeah, Ryan Leonard is, I think you can assign like 20 GMs to this, but he is. That's a Steve Eisman guy, right? Like if Eisman could pick any one of the players within reason to fall to him, like not Michkov, not uh, uh, Will Smith or something, his first pick would be Ryan Leonard. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100% this guy is the Steve Eisenman type. That's a run to the stage for me. If he's there or Detroit wants to move up for him, I don't think it's a question. I think they take him. If he's there with Dvorsky, then I'm not sure You know how the Red Wings rate those two independently. I would have a tough time really breaking it, breaking it out, but uh, I think if Leonard is there at nine, there's no question that he's the pick unless something else insane happened. He's my highest-ranked USNTDP player in my list. Higher than Will Smith. I have him higher than Will Smith. Walk us through that. Uh, he's not the... He doesn't have as strong of hands as Will Smith does, but I, I like Ryan Leonard's game a lot more along the boards. Like, think of... When I think about the NHL, I see Ryan Leonard's game a little bit more translational than I do Will Smith. Mm-hmm. I like that... Uh, Ryan Leonard scores a lot from inside. He's actually a s- very good facilitator of the puck too, which is probably why his li- their line is uh, broke all the scoring records. All they did was produce, yeah. I, I see him as more of a line driver type player than I do Will Smith at the next level. Um, and I have him higher because I truly think teams after this playoffs are going to just trip over themselves to get a Ryan Le- Leonard type and I, that's nothing against Will Smith. I think he's one of the best puck handlers in this draft. Um, I just, you know me, I gravitate towards violence. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Leonard is uh, has that in spades, and he's certainly not a one-dimensional bruiser, power forward type player. Um, I just think his game translates to the NHL maybe a little bit better than Will Smith. Does the positionality, like that, that trumps the positionality because Will Smith I, is... Don't totally care about that, yeah, really, when I when I think about it. Okay. So next up, talking about positionality, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky is seventh on these rankings, and he is the other guy in that tier of shouldn't be available at Detroit's pick, but could be, and I think they were onto the stage, and I, I would agree with Dalibor Dvorsky. In my personal rankings, and we'll go over our, our rankings in a little bit here, Leonard and Dvorsky are like flip-flopping between six and seven for me. Um, but Dalibor Dvorsky is a guy who rose really late in the game, had a little bit of a funny year in the Allsvenskan, but uh, turned it on at the U18s, especially for Slovakia, and, and essentially put the entire team on his shoulders. Um, he's, I don't think that he drops, and that's mostly because I think teams believe he's a center. They see his frame, and they see what he did at the U18s, uh, but who is he as a player? Uh, man, a lot of these ones, 200-foot center, High offensive upside, high compete, was able to carry a, a weak team like Slovakia on his back at the U18s, um, you know, despite not having a ton of help around him. Again, sounds like a Red Wing already, but it sounds so simplistic to just say what team doesn't want a 200-foot center with high offensive upside? Like, But that's, that's what teams Yeah, draft. I know, I know. It's really dumbing it down, but that is the appeal to Dvorsky. That is why teams like him, right? Like, you, you see all these questions about the high-skill wingers or the, you know, one-way defensemen. Well, because every t- team has a different philosophy on that. Is there any, any discrepancy talent-wise between Zach Benson and Dalibor Dvorsky? No. 
What's the difference? Dvorsky fits the profile of what every single team in the NHL wants. Zach Benson does not. You think they're equally skilled? I would argue Benson's more skilled. That's uh, I, I think in terms of like pure skill, and that doesn't mean yeah. going to be a better player. Yeah, but that that that's further to my point. And like I'm saying this as a guy who probably would take Dvorsky over Benson yeah. for all the reasons I laid out, just because of the impact that type of player has on a game, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Dvorsky, I have, this is one of those, he's probably the first prospect on my list where I, uh, of, you know, the the list that we've gone through so far where I, I have reservations. The top six we've talked about, including Ryan Letter, I am to a high degree of certainty confident in roughly what they're going to be in the NHL. Dvorsky is where that range of outcomes starts to get, you know, not concerning, but it's bigger. Yeah. Right? Like, I could see Dvorsky peaking as a third-line center. It's it's in the cards. There's questions about his skating, which I think are a little overblown. There's questions about how much offense is he actually going to bring. There's questions about his production in the offense gone, and they're all fair. Um, ultimately, you bet on the upside, and I think it's there with Dvorsky, but I, I think, like, this is where that draft starts to have every prospect has an obvious flaw. Not an obvious, but they have a flaw that's, you know, increases the range of outcome. Dvorsky being a European prospect means, and this is like a given, I'm stating the absolute obvious here, but Detroit's going to have a really excellent lens into him uh, with Hakan Anderson and the European scouting team uh, over there. So if they like him, they'll be able to say so with a really, really high degree uh, of certainty. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Dvorsky is really high on Detroit's board. And if not, like, I don't want to say that he doesn't come in the middle, but he strikes me as a guy who would be at either extreme. Like, if they like him, they'll love him just because he fits, like you said, Brad, exactly what the Red Wings need and pretty much what every team in the NHL would want. Yeah, like, for me, he's the one guy where I watch video of him and I'm like, what does he do exceptionally well that the guys ahead of him do? And I would say nothing. Mm-hmm. Is Does he have a, a good shot? Yeah, it's better than he's, – he's certainly a top 10 shot. I don't – he doesn't have that separating skill that I've watched. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, if you get a, like a matchup type centerman uh, who's good at both ends, plays both uh, special teams, teams love drafting those guys. So I can totally see him being off the board before the Red Wings pick. You know what the perfect summation of Dal or Dvorsky is? It's what happened in the athletics consensus rankings. He ended up number six on their overall consensus rankings from all the rankings they pulled from that they chose to pull from. Not one of the rankings they pulled from had him rated higher than seventh. But he ended up six because he didn't fall below nine on any of them. So there was way more variance on everybody else's list. But everybody liked Dalibor Dvorsky as a top nine pick. Nobody liked him as a top six pick because what Evan just said, he didn't have that separating skill, but his game is also just so complete and he fits the bill of what everybody wants that the range that he was ranked was razor thin. When you watch every single guy we've mentioned so far, you see something that like just perks your eyes, like it's like an explosive speed, or they make some play in in a phone booth, and you're like, "How did that even happen?" Um, I just don't see that totally with his game, but I see a lot of good, and teams trip over themselves to get guys like this. And 
honestly, what have we learned over the years that, uh, you know, doing the draft, eight, seven, eight, however many of them we've done now, a lot of good often adds up to a better NHL player than, you know, someone with a really, really high up ultimate upside because that comes. There's some know, teams that are extremely risk averse and they're like, ah, we just want the best player we think we can get. If his floor yeah. is he's a middle six centerman, good. We'll take that. Yep. Hey, coming from the guys who cover the Red Wings and the team that just drafted Marco Casper. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, this one was funny to me. Eighth was David Reinbacher, and I would actually wager more than any other one that he goes higher than than where he's ranked. He's been connected to a little bit to Montreal, He's been and he's been connected a lot to Arizona, and there's even been... It, he hasn't been connected to Philly, but Keith Jones' comments about building from the blue line out make this an obvious connection in that mm-hmm. scenario, so it's it's probably worth noting. So, Reinbacher is a defenseman. Again, we're going to qualify this by saying at least two of us here don't have him ranked in the top 10, and we both fully accept that we will be wrong about that because def- like he's consensus the highest-ranked defenseman. Who is he as a defenseman in general here? Um, and why is he unlikely to go to Detroit? David Reinbacher pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with him. It's the discourse around him because what happens is one of two extremes when talking about David Reinbacher. You get the defensive crowd planting their flag. Defenseman is the most important position in the NHL. You must rate him higher. This guy plays the defensive end of the ice so well, so he's a top five pick all day, every day. When was the last time a defenseman won the Hart Trophy? Yeah, exactly. But and and they'll say, and you're stupid if you disagree. And then the other one, say it proud. <laughs> and then the other group is, uh, well, no, like skill matters, and you you can't take a defensive defenseman in the top ten uh, because you know reason X, Y, and Z. And what this all misses with David Reinbacher is everything, because he does everything pretty well. Like Dalibor Dvorsky, he doesn't have that elite trait. He's a good skater, good hands, good vision, good transition, can work the offensive zone not in an exceptional way, can work the defensive zone very well for a defenseman his age and has the potential to be an elite defender. And these two camps are so against each other that they miss the nuance in between, which is always, always, always the case. And every year there's a prospect like this and every year it makes me want to rip my hair out. And the fact that there's so few defensemen rated highly in this draft just amplifies that. Because what is David Reinbacher? He's a really well-rounded 200-foot defenseman mm-hmm. who did very, very well in one of the top European leagues as an 18-year-old. Like, what more do you want the kid to do? I have him rated lowly just because I don't think his ceiling's exceptionally high. But I don't think there's anything wrong with his game, and I think the discourse around him is stupid because he's a great player. Now, because... He is the top-ranked consensus defenseman. No matter what side of that extreme teams are on in, in the argument Brad just put forward, he will go high. Defensemen just don't – you don't see that many forwards go before a defenseman is taken. Arizona has been linked to liking Reinbacher. Or like you said, Brad, Philly has been linked to – that would add up quite a bit. Even if you agree with Brad and say, I don't know that he has like a really, really high ultimate upside – if this guy is an everyday right-handed defenseman who's playing in your top four with top pair potential, who is already mature enough to be considered a well-rounded defenseman, which is exceptionally rare for someone of his age, he's going to go high in the draft and it's justifiable. Just because we have him ranked lower does not mean that he's, like you said, Brad, that he's you know a bad player or it would be a bad pick. Um, 
I'll say I think if he goes to De- if he is there for Detroit at nine, just because of the value of the pick, perceived value of the pick, I could see them uh, tripping over themselves to get to the stage to take him. Uh, but I don't see him being there at nine personally. Yeah, I I I'm highly skeptical he'll be there at nine. Even if he is, I, I wouldn't recommend taking him. I'm certainly not flipping a table if they do. He's close enough in my rankings. How could I be? Right. It's not like I have this guy ranked twenty five and they're picking him nine. Yeah. Like, it's it's four spots away. And in this draft, that's nothing. That's that's virtually the same pick. Yeah, that is nothing. So I don't want anybody to take away, oh my God, you have him so low. You must hate him. No, I have him in the same category as the guys I have ranked, you know, seven, eight, and nine. So <laughs> it's yeah. not like he's that far off. Yeah, unfortunately you can't fit four people in one draft slot. Exactly. Steve Eisman's like, oh, well, there goes our entire plan. Yeah. They're doing it in the second round. Why not? Yeah. I can understand the appeal of David Reinbacher. Like, he skates all four directions really well. Like, he moves the puck exceptionally well. Um, I think, you know, the question is, everyone's like, oh, is he more at Cider and is going to find this offensive game? Maybe. Maybe. I think that's what you got to, you're kind of betting on, right? Because if you're thinking this guy's going to be your number one defenseman, I think your expectations are probably wrong. I think he's an exceptionally complimentary top three if everything works out well. But, I mean, he plays a pretty darn good defensive game for someone his age. Um, and once again, teams jump and fall all over themselves for players like this. So this next ranking here at nine, this so hypothetically if if the draft board was to fall how uh, Bob's board here, this, is, this would be Detroit's first pick, Zach Benson. And this is a divisive player, and I think it's – fair that he's a divisive player uh he's roughly the size of me and i i mean that quite literally i think he's exactly the same height and weight as me right now so uh, i know i make jokes about brad being short but in reality we're about the same size he's five nine and three quarters is how he's listed a buck 70 uh but extremely extremely talented player so you have to think does he play bigger than he is or is his size going to be a hindrance Will his talent translate from the WHL to the NHL? Because if you think yes, then Zach Benson at nine would be phenomenal value. But if you think no, then you don't take him because there are, quite honestly, a million other guys who would be very worthy of a ninth overall pick. So where are you guys on Zach Benson? Zach Benson pisses me off. (laughs) (laughs) Poor kid. (laughs) And by that, of course, I mean the discourse around him because every year there's a prospect like him and much like Reinbacher, you get these two sides that plant a flag and refuse to see the middle. There's the small, you can't win in the NHL with small forwards. I don't care how skilled he is. You, you can't win in the NHL with small forwards, completely ignoring Braden Point, Brad Marchand, Mitch Marner, yada, yada. You can well, you to, can't win with Mitch Marner. <laughs> you can win exactly <laughs> one round, Yeah, <laughs> which after the last seven years, I would kill for. <laughs> but, um, and, and then you have this other camp. Oh my God, but he's a top three, four most talented player in the draft. How could you even say that? When, of course, the answer's in the middle. Yes, on talent, Zach Benson is one of the best players in the draft. Yes, Being undersized is going to hinder him in the NHL. The only question is to what degree. And that's what you base your ranking on. I think on a pure playmaking standpoint, Zach Benson's the best passer in this draft. There was a statistic that was tracked. It was expected primary assists and slot pass success percentage. He was second to only Connor McDavid. And they've tracked this over 3,000 forwards. Yeah, exactly. The thing that gets me 
excited about Benson, and I have him ranked, I think, actually not on my list as well. The thing you have, there's one of two ways as a small playmaking forward in the NHL you have to be able to do in order to succeed and to translate to the NHL is you have to be either really good at absorbing contact or really good at avoiding contact. Zach Benson is the latter. That guy moves so fast and processes everything so quickly in the offensive zone, he rarely gets touched. He's made his play before that defenseman gets to him. So you put him with any half-assed line mate who can find space, he's going to get it to them. It's not a question. It's He sees it. It's coming. Be ready. Which, you know, that's a whole other issue of drafting him to the Red Wings. Oh, Wings. man. But... is going to score 40 goals. <laughs> oh, God. God. <laughs> no, the, uh, the rate of glass pings per 60 in the LCA is going to go up exceptionally high. Time, flat circle, yada, yada. But, yeah, so... Benson, the way he can dart in and out of traffic, the way he can see what's happening in front of him as he's doing it. And then you couple that with his production in the WHL, which has been phenomenal. He's on a team with Matt Savoy, Connor Geeky, Connor McLennan, who is a dra- another NHL draft pick. He's been driving that team since he was 16. He's been outperforming these guys. We liked Matt Savoy at eight last year. Benson's better. Benson's been outperforming him, even though he's younger than him in the WHL on the same team in the same circumstances. Again, the talent is undeniable. It's just how well do you think it's going to translate to the NHL? And again, you have to, like I said, you at his size, you have to be able to do one of those two things. And he does one of them very, very well. So I'm betting on it will translate. For me. So when we're, if we're talking about size, I always draw a pause when you look at smaller players who are just shifty in traffic and they that's how they produce uh, their offense at their junior level. And it becomes extremely difficult to do that at the NHL level. Basically impossible. And I think that's where people get concerned. For me, Zach Benson does not do that. He builds a lot of his offense off the wall and manipulating other teams' defense and finds spaces for his teammates. I have Zach Benson at five. I think he is, I, I, and I was totally not, ha- I didn't have him in the top 10 until this week. And then I, I did the whole like deep dive on a ton of the top 10 players. And I thought he was the fifth best player in the draft. I honestly do. That's okay. And, and for people who don't, haven't been listening long, Evan's preferred player type is not him. No. <laughs> so that's a massive vote of confidence. Just go watch some of his his game tape and the way he dis, uh, disguises what he's going to do and manipulates other play, opposing players to do what he wants them to do, and then goes the other way and creates offense. It's it's crazy to watch. Um, and he's quick and has an ultra high compete. Like he's not the small guy who's just kind of there until he gets the puck, which I love about him. Like you take a what's a Red Wings equivalent, Beargren. Make him faster, quicker, and way more competitive. Oh, and his passing's better. You get Zach Benson. And when I and people people might take me saying, "Oh, he's a perimeter player because he plays off the boards." Well, he plays off the boards and goes right to the middle of the ice and and creates offense that way. And he's also really good defensively. He yeah. he takes away passing lanes. He's active with a stick and he uses his hockey IQ that he has from the offense, also in the defensive side, to break up plays and and creates like small area one two touch passing scenarios to break out of the zone it's amazing to watch so i'm going to do some devil's advocate here the red wings already lack 
speed uh, on offense, like high end speed. And the Red Wings, though they could use everything, like they need they need talented wingers, of course. Uh, they need scorers more than anything. So if there's a center who can score a little bit better than Benson, who's uh, bigger, would you still recommend Benson over them? Or are you pure BPA, best player available, and you take Benson just because this is the kind of talent that you don't ever see at nine, really? Well, if you're bringing in Debrinket, you bring in Zach Benson. <laughs> Short Kings line. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, there, there's a lot of ways this could go because, you know, I made a small joke about it while I was talking about Benson, but yeah. Who's he giving the puck to right now where that puck's going to end up in the net more often than not? And that is a genuine concern. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't take him. It means you need to go get some of them. Yeah. Like, the Red Wings need to improve in a lot of ways so you don't pass on a playmaker who's, you know, 10% better than the goal scorer that's available because you don't have a goal scorer. Well, guess what with the Red Wings right now? If you draft Matthew Wood or Colby Barlow because they're the goal scorers, I don't have anybody to get him the puck right now. So it, it doesn't matter here. Yeah, you have some guys who are pretty good at everything, like Larkin and Raymond, etc. But and you know even Marco Casper, if you want to lump him into that. But it doesn't matter if you want these specialty high skill players who are elite at a trait. Well, the Red Wings don't have any of those, so draft whichever one's highest on your board and solve the rest later because you're gonna have to solve whichever one you don't get. So, I personally have Benson ranked eighth behind you know the top five. Bedard through Will Smith, and then I have Leonard Dvorsky, and then I have Benson, even ahead of Moore. I can't, so I I really agree with a lot of what both of you have said, but I think I actually come lowest or least high on Benson out of the three of us. Not like Evan, who just notoriously loves the small skilled guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I, as much as I think his high end upside or top uh, top end upside, as Brad just described, is exceptional and stands out above most of his peers in that range. I'm not, I couldn't look a GM in the face and say, I'm completely sold on the risk being worth the, or the reward being worth the risk. You know what I mean? I'm close. I'm getting there more and more. I've done the same thing as both of you. I I keep going back, but it's his peers around him where there's a little bit more certainty in my mind that's making it hard to say, yes, absolutely. All of that said, I still have him at eight behind Leonard and Dvorsky. You know what helps with the high risk players when you're picking ninth overall? having a very deep prospect pool, and having another pick eight picks later. So I think we're getting a little sneak preview of uh, of what the rankings are going to be for, for all of us here, but I, th- I think for both of you, Benson's going to be pretty high up. Okay, uh, we're going to be back with more prospect profiles, but uh, first, a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com, the global men's lifestyle brand that's disrupting the beard market. Hockey and beards are synonymous, and if you followed us for a while, you know that Evan and I take great pride in our beards while Brad does his best Crosby impression. Now finally, Manscaped is launching a beard trimming and styling routine. Now what I have here is the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Your facial hair really sets the tone for the entire postseason, whether you're contending for the cup or sticking it to your old school GM. The Beard Hedger Trimmer has a powerful 7200 RPM motor and titanium coated T-blade that can cut through the thickest of hair in a single stroke. Whether you prefer a 5 o'clock shadow or a lion's mane, you can choose from 20 different hair cutting lengths with the zoom wheel that only uses one guard. The beard trimmer is waterproof, cordless, and rechargeable, so you can trim in the shower to save time and create less mess. Manscaped also created dermatologist-tested beard care products to help you grow and nourish a magnificent beard. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit includes the Beard Hedger, Beard Shampoo, Beard Conditioner, Beard Oil, Beard Balm, the Travel Case, and a free gift. To get all that and more, simply go to manscaped.com today and get 20% off plus free shipping 
when you use promo code WWP at checkout. That's 20% off plus free international shipping with promo code WWP at manscaped.com. Join over 8 million men worldwide, including us three, who trust Manscaped today. Let's keep talking about these players, and and we'll move a bit uh, quicker here because I think I want to get to these personal rankings. Uh, Gabe Perot, which I think appropriate that Benson and Perot are ranked with each other. Perot is not that much uh, taller, I think a little bit uh, more skinny, uh, but also, you know, from the USNTDP, thought of as a really intelligent player, especially offensively, uh, scoring records galore. Evan, you told me uh, out in the course the other day, other day that you think he was one of the primary, if not the primary, driver of the offense uh, on his line at the U- in the US NTDP. Who is he as a player for you, and, and how does he stack up against Benson in your mind? Um, a lot of what I said about Benson, especially with the creativity and the playmaking in the offensive zone, can apply to Perot. The only real separator for me between the two is uh, I think Benson plays with a little more pace and has a little more compete to his game. Obviously, Perot's a little bigger, I believe. Um, in terms of height, not weight. Um, but yeah, Perot is a little tougher to decipher though, because he played on such a stacked line. Benson played on a really good team in a stacked WHL team, but it wasn't Will Smith and Ryan Leonard good. So it's, it's really hard to, you know, compare the two against each other, despite having so many similar strengths. Um, I think if Perot gets a little quicker and bulks up, just a touch. Like, I, again, I'm not saying he needs to turn into a monster or anything. He could be very, very, very good in the NHL. Um, the compete holds me back a bit. And not that his is bad. A- again, comparing directly to Benson. Benson's is just like that, you know, that ultra high uh, archetype. Pro's not there. So, I don't know. I, I think um, he... he actually compares to his dad in a lot of those ways. If you remember, everybody remembers Yannick Perot, that kind of calm, cool, collected style on the ice. Uh, his son obviously got a lot of that. And there's pros and cons to that, but yeah, uh, I think he's just outside my top 10, but he's he, he's right in the mix. I actually got to double check exactly where I had him, but he, he'd be very close to my top 10. Yeah, for me, the only... Yeah, he is 10, sorry. Yeah, the I only spot I have concern with Gabe Perot is his skating. He has an awkward stride. It's it's pretty choppy. He's more of an upright skater, like a top-heavy skater. I don't. Hey, see nothing wrong of, with that. Yeah, I don't see a lot of power being generated. Hey, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> I, I'm the first person to complain about my own game with that right now. <laughs> I'm a very top-heavy uh, skater. <laughs> um that's the only spot where I really draw concerns. Like he just does he have the pace at the next level? Will he score goals at the next level uh, at a similar pace? Um, that's really the only concern I have. I have with Gabe Perot. And I, I should say here with the Benson ranking at nine, not just because it starts at nine, but because what consensus rankings are showing. I think this is we're now in the range of most likely to be available for Detroit. I think Leonard, Dvorsky, maybe even Ryan Bacher, Michkov, if stuff gets yeah. crazy, could be. Yeah, I think you have the big five. And then if I had to guess, uh, in some order, Dvorsky, Ryan Bacher, and Leonard are the three off the board at six to eight. Yeah. Assuming Michkov goes in the top five. And then this is the cluster the Red Wings are picking from. Now is the witching hour. Yeah. Matthew Wood at 11. And Matthew Wood, I think, has been not a late riser, but has been getting more attention to his game. Uh, uh Big player, highly skilled, skating is a, quench, uh, a question, but a guy that we've talked about, you know, really liking for Detroit at 17 and, and some say nine. 
man, a six foot, a million high skill forward with a wicked shot, good playmaking, high hockey IQ, and was a leading scorer on an NCAA team at 17 years old. Yeah, he was the youngest player in college hockey. Yeah, and he was like, look at what like Brady Kachuk's production was his first year in the NCAA. It was nothing, just like to pick a name off the head. It was not even close to what Matthew Wood did. The ceiling is high, mm-hmm. very high on Matthew Wood, like Tage Thompson high. Again, odds of him getting that ultimate ceiling are always low, but it's in the cards. And, you know, some questions about his compete, um, obvious questions about his skating, but, you know, the the one thing that always helps out a poor skater is being, you know, six foot four, six foot five, whatever he is. So, um, obviously, question marks there, but man... Is is he not an intriguing prospect? Just that that skill, that shot, and that frame. Like, man, if he hits, he hits big. What I like about Matthew Wood is that he's already using his body to win battles. Like the the offensive IQ and the skill with the puck and and the shot, like you said, Brad, those are already all there. Uh, but it's if you see a guy that big who's not using his his body to win battles and is a as a poor skater, then you're you're concerned. But I don't think his skating is good. But I think he his leverage of his strength already is. And like you mentioned, Evan, like he was playing as a pretty young guy uh, in the NCAA, which that's a hard league to play in. Like a lot of those people physically are grown men that you're, yeah. you're competing against. So uh, I really like the idea of taking Matthew Wood. And you know, we're talking about Benson. Uh, as a potential Red Wings pick, Perot as a potential Red Wings pick, Dvorsky, whoever else, I I personally would have no problem with Matthew Wood at nine. And I think if Detroit gets him at 17 or even moves up to grab him after nine, I would love that. Yeah. He, everything in his game over the past year has improved exponentially, except for his skating. His skating is not great to watch. Um, definitely a lot of work to be, to be done there. Um, but how many kids who are 6'3 have to work on the skating? I'd say almost all of them. And if if they don't, then they're probably inside the top 10 of a, of a draft. So um, if if the Red Wings can funnel the puck to him off the power play, he's going to score a lot of goals at the NHL level. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's had pro- maybe one of the biggest growths as a player um, from start to season to now. All right, moving down the list here, uh, Colby Barlow at 12. Uh, you know, production matters. And this guy just finds ways to get the puck in the net. Cause you know, if we talk about the Dvorsky thing where like nothing about his game really pops, Barlow's got an above average shot, but he, he kind of falls into this category, but he also has that, you know, Kachuk quality about him where, you know, he's got a bit of a main streak to him. He can get to the dirty areas. He can get goals that way. So just having that blend of being able to score from distance and being able to score in tight is, you know, very appreciated in the NHL these days and skating's not great. You know, he's got good hands, but they're nothing, nothing special. He's not an exceptionally gifted playmaker. His job is to get the puck in the net and he does it very, very often. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, you got to think he's getting close to NHL ready because he's, you know, 17 years old and has probably already been divorced twice and, and has like, I think at least three or four kids just looking at him, but yeah, he has that look to him. He to me he might have the second best shot in the draft behind uh Connor Bedard. Um he can shoot from all, anywhere around his body so he can, you know, shoot but off his legs, out front of his body, um take one-timers, quick releases, curl and drag. Um 
he he's a big kid too, so I think you know there is some of that sandpaper to his game. But that's about it. That's kind of where it ends for me. Um, so if you're expecting a 200 foot player who plays all end, ends of the ice, this is not the guy. Um, but if you like guys who can score goals like crazy, he is the guy. Oliver Moore, who's a very popular uh, pick, potential pick among a lot of fans, um, us included, although I do think his peers have really kind of brightened in my mind where he doesn't exactly stand out as the, my, you know, my absolute favorite uh, among all the players available. But Oliver Moore, incredibly, incredibly uh, skilled skater, probably the best skater in the draft out of the US NTDP and play center. Uh, who's Oliver Moore and do you like him for the Red Wings? I love Oliver Moore for the Red Wings. Maybe my ideal pick at nine. As we talked about numerous times, 200 foot high compete centers. What every team wants. Oliver Moore is the best skater of them in this group. Oliver Moore is the best skater in this draft. Full stop. Oliver Moore might be the best skater in an NHL draft since Connor McDavid. In fact, in testing, in skating, in a lot of ways, I forget which set it was, he outperformed McDavid in McDavid's draft year. This isn't just he's a good skater. This is he might be the best skater in the NHL one day. Like that level of skating. Obviously, he did not play on the USNTDB's top line because Will Smith was there and Will Smith is absolutely nasty. So someone had to play second line center. It was him. He did not have Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard as his wingers. And yet he still had like 75 points and I think it was 60 or 61 games. Over 30 goals. He, you know, we've used the Dylan Larkin comparison a lot with Oliver Moore because this is probably the most Dylan Larkin archetype in the draft since Dylan Larkin. You know, same position, playing behind a superstar center at the NTDP. Um, extremely gifted skater, very well-rounded, ultra-high compete. This is the Dylan Larkin profile to a T. The only difference is in the USNTDP, when Larkin was there, he was about a point per game playing in this role. Oliver Moore is 15 points ahead of that, playing with, you know, not bad wingers, but not anybody special, and there was a bit of a rotating cast in there. I really feel like Oliver Moore's ceiling gets sold short because of the role he played on this team, and the only reason he played that role is because Will Smith is so damn good he just was never going to take that spot barring a miracle um so you know if you talk about team philosophy in the 200 foot center man i gotta tell you we always made the joke for years and years and years and years can you win the stanley cup with dylan larkin as your number one center and then you're like yeah maybe if you have dylan larkin as your number two center and then the red wings drafted marco casper and we went oh maybe did we ever discuss the possibility of three Honestly, that, <laughs> that's one of the selling points for Oliver Moore is even if you think his ceiling is, you know, realistic ceiling is second line center, having two cracks, a, a player like between Casper and Moore who could max out or be an everyday second line center. That's wonderful because then you have a real second line center if you're the Red Wings. Yeah, I mean, the defining feature of Oliver Moore is his skating. Like he is not only north-south quick, he's east-west quick too. And that allows him to get to pucks in both offensive and defensive zones and um, allows his teammates to be the the recipients of, of his hard work. Now, that is an issue for me. Do people see him as, you know, just a worker bee and everybody just benefits off of that? Or is he an actual producer at the next level? I would think so. Like, he's got 
great hands. He's got great vision, great hockey IQ. I can't see why he wouldn't, but just from the stuff that I've been reading, it that sort of seems to be the 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 discourse between the two camps. And again, the production he put up, it's it's worth repeating because again, I think more ceiling isn't advertised enough. He did all that, 75 points in 60 games as the second line center with, you know, average wingers and not really any first unit power play. Like those were the circumstances where he put up these numbers. Like, and if we want to talk about relevance to the Red Wings, obviously I said, we already talked about having a one, two, three punch down the middle would be ideal. Ultra high compete, high hockey IQ, skates like the wind. Know any GMs who like that prototype? I know a guy. I think I can think of one. Not very chatty. Oliver Moore kind of reminds me of that guy who tries, like, not he doesn't not saying he should try too hard, but you know those guys at Beer League who are just water bugs and are so annoying and they just piss you off? Yeah. He's that kind of guy. He's in every play. He's his motor just does not stop. And that kind of stuff is annoying as hell to play against. And I can totally see why uh everyone would Everyone likes Oliver Moore. I, I know it's a, a cliche and it's coming. I'm going to use it. The same thing you're talking about from a teammate standpoint. And it's a phrase. I, I always love like, that. Cause then I don't yeah. have to skate as hard, <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it, it's almost the exact opposite effect. And I love using this phrase. He's the type of guy that drags his teammates into the fight. Yeah. Like Ryan Leonard gets billed as that guy, rightfully so for another reason. Oliver Moore is also that guy. Like We've been watching Dylan Larkin for years. I think every fan who's been watching the Red Wings in the Dylan Larkin era would go to hell and back for Dylan Larkin. And one ask, if we're talking Red Wings specific, what is one thing the Red Wings aren't great at? It's it's pace. They don't play quick. Maybe that's system generated or the talent on the team. I'll let other people decide. It's both. Yes. I'll let other people decide that. At Oliver Moore would fill a huge need at, the, at that this is uh, the Winged Wheel podcast where we talk about why every prospect pisses us off. Yes. Now, the next ranked defenseman in these rankings is Axel Sandine Pelica. And if you remember back to the draft rankings episode, Brad and I actually both had Sandine Pelica just a little bit above David Reinbacher. Um, and that's not a popular opinion, and we very well could and are likely to be wrong on that. But uh, Sandine Pelica is a guy who I view as being more gifted offensively, or at least having that higher offensive upside. As a defenseman, not as well-rounded as Reinbacher, but you know, you think of Evan's discussion on peakiness in terms of attributes. There is something that stands out in Sandine Pelica's game. So, uh, what's a quick rundown on Axel Sandine Pelica out of Sweden? Well, he's the most gifted offensive defenseman in this draft. Full stop. Um, and again, you know, I'm not going to say the line, but the discourse around Axel Sandine Pelica pisses me off because you get these two camps that stake a flag and don't see in the middle. Is he an undersized offensive defenseman? Yes. Does that mean he is devoid of defense? No. He is actually good defensively. He competes. He's smart. He's positionally responsible. He doesn't cheat to get his offense. He is a very, very well-rounded defenseman. The problem simply is he's 5'10", 5'11". Like, he's a sub-6-foot defenseman. That's it. If he was six foot two, he is the first defenseman off the board. He is a top-six pick all day. Full stop. End of statement. Um, but if he can overcome that in the NHL at NHL pace, NHL size with the way he sees the ice and the way he's able to, you know, maneuver the offensive zone and maneuver the puck around the ice, he could be a real player. Like not just a guy, he could be your go-to defenseman. For me, it, 
uh, let's go away from defense offense because people will beat that to death. He is one of the best defensemen in transition. Like, you know, pucks turned over, he starts to play up or or vice versa. He is excellent in transition, can move left, right, north, south extremely well. Being a top four defenseman for him is extremely attain- attainable uh, in my view. Um, it's going to take some careful usage of him at five on five and see what, how sort of how he plays his way into the NHL there. Um, but in terms of, you know, top power play quarterback, I think he's definitely in that conversation. Also stating the obvious, Philip Hronick left. A lot of people look at Sandine Pelica as, oh, this is, uh, that's the replacement right there. Uh, Braden Yeager, probably a little bit underappreciated of late because of all the people rising around him, but uh, still a, a talented player in my mind who uh, could potentially be a Red Wings pick, but I think it would also depends on who else they take. But who's Braden Yeager as a player? Uh, small, high-compete center with an absolute rifle for a shot. Um, lot to like about his game. Again, as is the theme with multiple players every draft, he's just a little too small for what NHL teams like. But the offensive upside and the motor are really, really going to help ease teams' mind if they're uh, picking in the middle of the first round. Works like hell, too. Oh, yeah. Nate Danielson. Uh, This is a guy who is moving up people's boards. You you talk about a jack-of-all-trades centerman who can play big and do everything pretty well. Is he a standout in any specific regard? Not necessarily, but do teams really, really, really want a centerman who can do it all at all ends of the ice? Yes, and that's why I think Nate Danielson is a guy who is likely to go higher than 16, but who is he as a prospect? What's his overall upside, and how do you feel about him potentially being you know, an Iserman pick at nine? Nate Danielson, very well-rounded, 200-foot, uh, limited offensive upside, apparently, um, centerman, uh, again, very attractive qualities to every NHL team. Always, always, always have concerns about late birthday, bigger players in junior hockey. His production wasn't great, and that's concerning. Now, is he actually a really gifted offensive player, and he just played on a bad team? Very possible. Was his production a little inflated because this was his third year of CHL hockey and he was still bigger than most of his peers and had the extra year of development versus a lot of players in this draft? Also possible. Um, just for me, he he's in the biggest, if we're taking his skill set and him specifically out of it, he's in the biggest risk group of first round picks for me, which is either A, late birthday players in the CHL who have a history of not living up to expectations. Sorry, Philip Zadina. Um, or very large junior players who are just, now he's not this big, but large junior players who are just physically dominant over their peers and don't pan out to be what everybody thought, Lawson Krause, Quinton Byfield, Michael Rasmussen, yada, yada, yada. So I'm not saying Danielson's there, but the red flags are up because I really do like his game, and I'm hoping, I'm really, really, truly hoping that it is just a product of being on a bad team. Danielson's a pick that I can definitely justify at nine. Would it be the way that I think? No, but could I see the argument? Yeah, for the reasons you laid out. Do I Do I personally, and I'm going to be very upfront about this, so you know I'm going to be wrong about that, and I'm going to be on a 
you know, the media cut when Danielson wins the Calder for the Red Wings however many years from now. Do I like the pick at 9 for Detroit? No. Would I like the pick at uh, 17 for Detroit? Yes, quite a bit, actually. Very much so. I would I'd prefer a higher upside player at 9, and Danielson is, I, I would really like, I don't think he'll be available, but yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm so, somewhere in between on Danielson. Like, he's he moves the puck really well, but he doesn't really solve any problems when he's out there. I think, you know, if he's gets a strong supporting cast, there's probably more of offense out of him than than what meets the eye. Yeah, not in a pick at nine, but 17, I wouldn't be upset. Speaking of guys who might fill, fit the Red Wings bill, as we mentioned, uh, Samuel Hanzik, uh, you know, at 17 in these rankings, so that's hypothetically Detroit's second pick. I mentioned that he's a player that uh, Detroit uh, supposedly likes. Um, I think Max reported that Hanzik had a really, really great interview with uh, the Red Wings. So, uh, you know, big winger up and down the ice. A lot of people project him as, you know, a solid middle six winger, which if you can get an, a solid middle six winger guarantee at 17, you're laughing. Uh, but there are some folks who think his upside is higher and that he could go even higher. So he is in the mix for Detroit at ninth. So who's Sam Honzik and what's his upside? Remember when I was just talking about late birthdays and large players playing against junior competition? Yeah. Here we go again. And I hate how broken my brain is because I really like his game. Much like Danielson, this is a player I want, I desperately want to be wrong about because I like Hanzik at 17. I don't like him at nine. I He's intriguing because again, I think, I can't remember if it was Max or Prashanth brought up a point about, you know, teams often like people talk about ceiling and they only ever tend to equate that to small forwards and defensemen. Whereas a guy who possesses the tools that Hanzik has, the ceiling is very high. But rel- just okay production, you know, at his age in this CHL, the size he is, the late birthday, it's, uh, it hasn't been scratched yet. Like, I don't think we've seen what his ceiling could be, and we may never see what his ceiling could be, but he's very well-rounded, good skater, good hands, good, you know, vision on the ice, you know, can get the puck in the net. He's He's a very, very intriguing player. And I understand the appeal to him, and I definitely see the upside, but I also see those two really bad, really big red flags sitting there still. If you're a team who's confident in him past the red flags and you think maybe some of his, like if he hadn't had that injury and had been player playing earlier than, what was it, like February, March, where he came yeah, back? Yeah, Daniel, Danielson's, uh, the argument for Danielson to cancel out the red flags is he played an awful team. The The argument... For Hanzik is I, I was barely healthy, but in, that in and of itself could be a red flag. But but if you're confident in him, yeah. the tools that he has, like if you think his upside is higher and that it's just been masked, then that could be a potential grand slam, right? Like those are really really unique tools to all put together. But it, I I don't think you're I think you're a broken record when you talk all the time. Like you're it's a terrible to listen to. But I think you're right about pointing out these things, like you have to look at these red flags. Does it mean every big player with a late birthday is bad? No, God, no, do not take it that way. But you do have to take into consideration. And I think if you're taking a Hansik at nine, you have to have a high degree of confidence that, you know, the ceiling is higher and you're you're not so concerned about these potential red flags because he is, you know, one of the, not rare exceptions, but exceptions to the rule of of being the complete package this way. Well, on the upside, Ryan, the Red Wings have zero history of drafting large forwards from the WHL at ninth overall. Every, it, like, no issues there. Never. Ever. I, when you... Wait, how do I even start this one? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
everyone, okay, if we're talking about size of a player going into his draft year, it's like, okay, does he just physically dominate his opponents? And I would say Hanzik does a little bit of that for sure. But he's got a lot of finesse to his game, which is impressive mm-hmm. to watch. So I'm not as upset about that. Obviously, late birthday, you know, that's that uh, rears its ugly head there. Um, but he's got a lot of skill to his game for a big guy, and he's got a really good shot. I, I think there is more offense there, and I think he would be a strong pick at 17. Abs- I'm not anti-Hanzik, but taking him at 9 would be an extremely huge reach, in my opinion, but exceptional value at 17. Because here's the thing with Hanzik at 9, too, and this is going to take the opinion entirely out of our mouths and, and translate it all into the Red Wings. If Hanzik played all year in Europe and the Red Wings took him at nine, I am very comfortable and very happy with that because I don't think there's a scout on the face of the earth who's earned more trust than a Con Anderson. The Red Wings don't have a great history in North America with their North American scouting in the last decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Larkin was a hit. Mazur was a hit. You know, Rasmussen was a bust. Zadina was a bust. Um, You know... Et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, but jury's still out on Kosa. So I can't have that confidence if they pick him. And that's not our opinion. That's not Hanzik's fault. That's just history. And I don't like that. This is, this is just a vibes thing right now with this, what I'm talking about at this moment. It's like, I, it's all hockey is, is vibes, baby. If the Red Wings pick a Euro at nine, I don't care who it is. I'm going to go, even if it's someone I don't like, I can sit there and go, okay, well, I have Absolutely no reason to not trust Hakan. So I would be very comfortable with the pick, even if it's a guy I had rated like in the 30s. I think if Hanzik could like develop his playmaking skills a little bit more, I would be a little bit more excited for him. But he plays a lot of power play time that right now on a bad team, and that's how he generates a lot of offense. So I'm and, a little bit concerned. And that offense isn't like he's putting up two points per game. It's 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 good, but it's not special for his age in that league. And again, the thing, I'm not going to sit here and just dump on Hansik the whole time because I don't want people to think I don't like him. He's good, and I absolutely understand the intrigue here. A 6'4 guy who can skate with offense. Of course there's a recipe here for this guy to be an absolute grand slam. Of course it's there. But again, you can't look at the package without looking at the red flags. For all the same reasons I talked about Danielson, Han, they're they're right here as well. Now Hansik's a little bigger than Danielson, but wing versus center, whatever you want to do. But yeah, yeah I, he's. I guess the the best word I can use for Hansik for how I feel is he's intriguing, and I'd be cautiously optimistic. Okay, Otto Stenberg was 18 on this list, which is a little bit higher than what I thought Stenberg would be. Uh, but I'm not surprised to see him. You know, in the late teens, like that's not too big of a reach in my mind. So uh, very quickly here, Otto Stenberg as a prospect. Is, is there such a thing as a typical Swedish forward? Because that's what I see when I look at Stenberg. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but I think everybody who's watched the Red Wings understands what I'm saying. He's yeah. not a surprising profile for sure. I, exactly. And, you know, the well-rounded game, enough offense there to keep you interested, but not like this crazy high offensive ceiling where you're thinking he's ever going to come in and score 70, 80, 90 points. I don't think that's in the cards for him. But uh, j- just to be that useful, productive, Productive, second, third line, whatever the hell you need him to be. Shoots well. Oh, yeah, he's got a good shot. Well, you're not in the top 20 in the rankings if you don't have a couple traits. Dmitry Simashev, uh, uh, often a player talked about as potentially having a really high value. The third-ranked defenseman on this list and, uh, you know, a guy who's 6'4 out of Russia. 
um, could be a lot of untapped you know, potential there. So what do you think about Simashev? Uh, notably a left-handed shot. Nope, not doing it. This one's you, Ryan. <laughs> nope, I'm not taking it on taking the heat on this one. Uh, you know what? I've Simashev's game has really grown on me. Um he's someone I've I had a harder time discerning his game. We've talked about it on previous episodes where it's like you're evaluating a, a prospect in Ru- Russia right now. It's really difficult to do. So I think I was a lower on Simashev uh before than I am now. Uh the, the phrase, I think it was Pronman who used toolsy defenseman. And I know that phrase is sometimes in, in some people's eyes overused, but I think it's a fair assessment of Simashev. Uh, he's six foot four, six foot five, uh, good with the puck on his stick, uh, moves the puck up the ice really well. I don't think he's offensively, uh, you know, incredibly gifted, but he it's not a black hole part of his game. He has, you know, that typical... This guy will play his ass off. He's six foot four and competes hard. The, the Red Wings will like him for that. Uh, I think he's a pretty well-rounded defenseman who could be a lot better than you know public consensus is, just because he's been not buried in Russia, but behind that kind of curtain. Um, How long did it take you to iron that one out? <laughs> I I don't know. I. There's questions for me about relevance to Detroit because he's left-handed, but I'm also the same person who says don't not pick a, a prospect who's worth it just because it doesn't make sense right now because everything changes on a dime in the NHL, especially with your prospect pools. I know this isn't fair to Simashev, but if you're the Detroit Red Wings and you have two premium picks here, how the hell do you take a left shot, D? If you think he is going to be like every day top four defenseman, then you take that at 17 unless you think you have something better elsewhere. I th- well, Which you might. You might. That's the argument. But for, The argument for me for Simashev right now is he has to be so head and shoulders above everybody else in your rankings where you're picking him. Because again, is Simashev better than Edmondson? No, probably not. Comparable, yes. Better, no. Is Wallander that much fr- further behind than Simashev? You know, what do you think about Albert Johansson? And that doesn't even factor in. Well, how long do you plan on keeping Jake Wallman? And, you know, Ole Mata's up for a few years, but he probably won't matter. Like, unless you're trading some of these guys for a DeBrinket or a Konechny or a who the hell ever, like... <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> which, everything I'm saying right now could be very, very relevant by tomorrow, for all we know. Um, you know, if, if Wallander's in a package for, you know, Travis Konechny or whatever... My whole opinion on Simashev changes, not on Simashev, on drafting Simashev changes. Um, but I, I just can't reconcile with how many glaring holes this team has and how many players who are going to be available at both picks nine and 17 in this draft that can help fill said holes in the lineup. I just can't justify taking Simashev because to me, he is not that much further ahead than any of these guys. Yeah. Um, Simashev, eh? Uh, <laughs> he's potentially, I haven't, I don't know if I totally believe what I'm about to say, but I think he might be the best def- skating defenseman, at least based on size, skating per size, if we can turn that into an advanced analytic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that he's 6'4", over 200 pounds as a 17, 18-year-old, and he can skate the way he does, is extremely impressive. Most people that size at that age would look like a giraffe on skates. I do think Will Lander has him beat, but I, I can appreciate what you're saying. Sure, yeah, it's it's in, in the margins there, I think. 
Um, he's exceptionally good as a defender. Like he's great in the neutral zone. He can gap up, kill plays before they even begin, and he plays physical and shut can shut guys down. GMs love those types of players. For me, I don't totally see the offensive upside, which would make me take him in the top ten. Um, he did have a better rounding out of his, the end of his season in the MHL. That you know maybe that puts some confidence into that. Um, yeah, he's not the the sexiest pick right now, but in the right development program, maybe there is offensive uh, production at the next level for him. I don't know if I'm willing to take that risk. Clip, and clip that. <laughs> Clip that right there. And last up on our list, uh, Tom Willander uh, out of Rogla. So the Red Wings will be very familiar. Talk about uh, really, you know, a good skating defenseman. I think Willander is going to be at the top of a lot of people's lists. And Detroit will have familiarity. Competes well, skates well, right-handed shot. If you're going to pick a defenseman who's going to have Red Wings pick all over them, you know, Reinbacher excluded because I think they'd be happy to get him. Willander is just, it's like he was made in a lab for Detroit. <laughs> You're not wrong, and I, so I don't need to add on that. The only thing, the only thing that's going to prevent the Red Wings from picking Willander at 17, in my mind, is if he's not there at 17. They honestly might take him at nine. I want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. They may take him at nine. Again, if he was built in a lab for the Red Wings, here it is. I mean, I'd say the same thing about Oliver Moore, but. Yeah. To me, he's the you know, black and white. He's the Oliver Moore of defense. He's high motor, uh, high compete. Uh, doesn't really contribute offensively, so take that uh, for what you want. Um, but he's he's exceptionally dynamic because of his speed uh, and his motor. So I can see why he's been one of the biggest risers on people's draft boards. Okay, so that's a lot of thoughts on you know the top twenty rated picks, and that's not even getting into guys like uh, Cal Ritchie, Daniil Boot, uh, Gulyayev, Shala, Musty, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't talk about Andrew Crystal, but Still, that's a little bit of a profile on all of them. A lot of this has been rehashed, and we gave you a little bit of a flavor of what we think personally and what we think for the Red Wings. Let's now do our top, mm, let's, 10 or so players. You have to rank them. Exclude Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson. Yeah, let's just go from 6 to like 15 or something like that. Yeah, include Leonard and Dvorsky, but exclude Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Michkov. So Leonard... Through. Well, that totally screws up my rankings. Then just leave their names just, out when I'll, you get to them. I'll, I'll, can you subtract five? I'm sure we can go through Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Carlson very quickly in our rankings. Okay, yeah. Okay. All right, Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli, Carlson, as you were. Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Carlson, Ryan. Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith. <laughs> all right, there we go. We <laughs> okay, did it. Hey. Actually, you have. I'll let you start at five, Evan. I have Zach Benson, all for the reasons I said pr- earlier. Okay. And you have Smith as well, Brad? At five, yes. And I don't know how you guys build out your rankings. I was kind of just going off what I perceive as talent. Yeah. Um, not necessarily where I think they'll go. Yep, yep. Um, that's kind of just how I did it. So at six, I have I, I still have Leonard over Dvorsky. And I have Leonard over Will Smith. I have Leonard over Moore. Yeah, so... Seven. This couldn't be any more confusing how this looks. <laughs> okay, yeah, you you run through your list. We'll tell okay, you why okay. you're wrong and stupid, okay, and then you, you can do the thank same you. for us. Perfect. All right. Um, so Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Carlson, that's my top four. You didn't need to repeat that part of it. <laughs> no changes. No changes. <laughs> we are 90 minutes-ish into this episode, in case you guys can't tell. It's going uh, off the rails. The we cab- made it this far. <laughs> cabin fever is strong. Yeah. 
All right, we're doing top 10, you said? God damn it. <laughs> okay, Zach Benson at five, Ryan Leonard six, Will Smith seven, Dalibor Dvorsky eight, David Reinbacher nine, Gabe Perot ten. Okay, give us give us at least five more. Oliver Moore eleven, Matt Wood twelve, uh, Axel Sandin Pelka thirteen, Kobe Barlow fourteen, Nate Danielson fifteen, and I don't even know if I really like any of them. <laughs> okay, so do you do you could you tell me sixteen and seventeen? Braden Yeager and Quinton Musty. Okay, how about eighteen and nineteen? <laughs> Callum Ritchie <laughs> and Otto Stenberg. All right, Brad. How, fa- how long do you think we can get him to go? I'm actually impressed. This is like this is the most draft prepped Evan has ever been. I can keep going if you'd like. Onzik yeah. Brinley, Simashev, Willinder. I uh, can't pronounce the next name. <laughs> Goyev? Nope. Uh, Grayson Sachin. Okay. Uh, yeah. Huge point producer. Didn't really play behind a stack Seattle team. Could be a good steal. Um, Boot and then Crystal. Brad. All right, six, Ryan Leonard, seven, Oliver Moore, eight, Dalibor Dvorsky, nine, Zach, Benskin, Zach Benson, 10, Gabe Perot, 11, Sandine Pelica, 12, Matthew Wood, 13, Reinbacher, 14, Jaeger, 15, Danielson, 16, Willander, 17, Barlow. Six, Leonard, seven, Dvorsky. I'm going to stick eight and nine as Benson and Moore respectively, but I don't necessarily think that that's, you know, Benson would be the better pick than Moore for Detroit. Uh, 10, Perot, 11, Sandine Pelica, 12, Reinbacher. I've moved uh, Wood up since my earlier rankings to 13. Just had to copy me even more. Huh? Yeah, Danielson, 14, Barlow, Jaeger, Willander, Hanzik, Shala, Richie, Simashev. So, Really, uh, your ideal pick for the Red Wings then, Evan, in terms of what's realistic is Zach Benson. I mean, I have him at five. Yeah, and the top four aren't dropping to D- to Detroit in all likelihood, barring a trade. I mean, I also have Will Smith at seven. Yeah, and he won't go. I, he'll go. I do, yeah, I don't think he would be there. I don't think he'll be there at seven. I don't even think he'll be there at six. So, And Brad, your ideal pick for the Red Wings is Leonard within the realm of reason. Within the realm of, I don't even know if I put Leonard within the realm of reason at this point. I think he's a long shot to get there. Dvorsky, and then who's that, who did he have after? No Dvorsky? more, more, than, more than Dvorsky. And then for me, I have Leonard, Dvorsky, Benson, more. So you know, we there's a, a when we when we have on the gra- that graphic you put up top three preferred picks of who's likely to be there. Mine will be more Dvorsky, Benson. Mm. So it's starting to take shape, and you know, I, I look at. Matthew Wood at 13, and I'm like, maybe too low still, depending on on how you feel about the the risk versus reward there. Uh, this is, like we said at the top, wide, wide open. So let us know what you guys think and who you have in your preferred picks. Uh, leave it in the comments or, or uh, DM Evan specifically. Did you take an offensive defenseman higher than a pure defensive or yeah. uh, defensive defenseman yeah, a well-rounded defenseman you guys have corrupted me yeah who the hell are you i don't know man i don't know i'm sick i'm not i'm not the man i used to guys, be no you're not guys ryan it's okay you haven't broken your faithful oath to defense me yet cuz sandine pelica can defend i know i know i know it's just rhymebacher like that's his whole thing right but yeah no i did have sandine pelica one spot higher okay the, the to keep the conversation going those are our Summaries on the players, our personal rankings. Let's talk possibility of trade. And I'm talking every kind of trade. Trading up, 
trading the players for picks, trading, you know, Detroit has uh, a picks 9, 17, 41, 42, and 43 in the first two rounds. They have five picks in the first 43. They have a stacked pipeline, not with high, high, high end talent, but pretty good talent. And eventually you run out of space. And they also have a pretty full roster right now. Do you not change players over because this roster is like a cup competitive one? No. You hope that this roster changes over a lot really soon because it means players are good. But they're not a completely empty team who can, you know, ax everything like Philly or Anaheim or one of them. Steve Eisenman has said he wants to trade for players who can play now, not who are, you know, 32 and are going to age out of their age curve really soon. Like he would prefer them to be a bit younger. So uh, Leo Carlson. No, I would yeah, Leo Carl, but you can't if you want to trade up in the draft, sure. But I think more specifically what I'm referring to is like a Travis Konechny type, for example. Uh 26, 27 in that range, has a lot of good years ahead of him, has some cost control, and you know how he can play. He's a certain fact. Like there's a certainty to him. Also, you look at that top five, we just gave you a chunk of players who are like embedded in amber. The Red Wings will never be able to access them because they're not just not going to fall to nine unless you trade up. So what's a possibility here in your mind? I don't think a trade up from nine is very likely unless for some reason the Red Wings get very hot to trot on Michkov. The cost to trade up into the top five will be too high. And I think trading up from six to eight, unless it's for Michkov, is redundant because you're going to get a similar skilled player just falling to nine because that's that's the realm of it. 17's where I think it gets interesting because if I'm being honest, if the Red Wings walk away from this draft with all three second round picks, I'll almost be a little disappointed because that's a lot of high value currency. And whether that's for an active player or a trade up from 17, I think is a possibility because for my list personally, which I'm sure the Red Wings follow to the letter, anybody in my top 13, I'm comfortable with at nine, which means if you're coming up from 17, if even if the list, the board goes exactly to my list, which it won't, but if it does, you can get some value trading up only four slots. Like you get a top 10 talent in my mind at that point. And if the Red Wings have a guy, like, you know, if they want to get up for a Matthew Wood or Sandine Pelica, they can and should. And again, I understand the value of that is not the play. I've, I'm a huge advocate for trading back and have been forever and continue. Will, I will continue to be one in general. But the Red Wings have such a lack of high-end talent and they have such a plethora of prospects and picks in the top 43 alone in this one. Quantity doesn't matter. They need quality. And if there's a guy they absolutely love at pick 11, 12, 13, they got to get up and get him. They have to. And yeah. again, you know, we all love the Nate Danielsons of the world. That's not what I'm talking about here. Benson, Sandine Pelica, Wood, Moore. Guys with legitimate top-end upside. Skills, traits that are just hard to find. They need more of those. They absolutely need more of those. And I think that's well within the range of possibility. Hell, if they think they're going to get those guys at 9 and 17 without making a trade, but then they can use those second rounders to get up to like pick 25 or something like that if a guy falls, hell yeah, let's do it. Get weird. I just... They have so much currency right now and there's so much talent floating around this draft and in the NHL, I feel like it's a waste not to use it. Even and that being said, if they don't, they're walking away from this draft, five really good players, but still 
You know what I'm saying? Like the, the possibilities are out there for once Mm -hmm. jump on it. Yeah. For me, I think nine, like you guys said, probably too expensive to move up. 17 might be the spot where you become sort of the, the catching net for the guys who are falling. So really, I think the play there needs to be made as the top 10 is starting to be drafted. And you'll kind of know what to do from then. If there's guys falling well, maybe staying at 17 is fine. If it's going exactly how you don't want it to go, then maybe you move up from 17 with some of those picks. For me, my preferred choice or plan of attack here would be to weaponize those three second-round picks, move up into the first with them, so get a third first-round pick, and maybe you catch another faller. Um, there's a lot of talent in the in the in the bottom half, the last twelve picks of this draft in the first round, where I think they could get another exceptional player. I think as Brad and Evan both have uh, stated at different points, like the trades that are a potential, whether it's pick for pick or pick for player, you talk about Debrinket or, or Connect or whoever, it's going to depend on how the board shakes out. So like as Philly sees how the names come off the board, then they might say, okay, well. The guys we want are gone, so we'll pull the trigger on, you know, this trade for connecting in Detroit that includes pick 17 or whatever it might be. Uh, I would like to see, I would like to see a, a good player for the roster now come in using some combination of assets. It doesn't have to be nine. I actually would really, really, really prefer to keep nine. I think there's just too much talent there. And like Brad said, you can get someone with high end talent that the system really lacks at nine, but 17 is open. The second round picks are open. You might not like to hear this, but you can include current roster players to sweeten the deal. Like uh, I'm not saying throw away Beargren or, or Soderblom, but teams are going to be very interested in those kinds of players if it's for a big name NHL player today. What if some team wants the first second round pick in Soderblom to move into the mid-20s? Do you do it? Depends who falls. I'm just right now. Into you, the mid-20s? Into the mid-20s. Based I, on who I have... In my list in the mid-20s, I'll say no. No, just because there's a little bit more certainty to Soderblom as a player, and he's so unique. Um, if you're in, talking In a redraft, that's about where Soderblom goes. Mid, like late teen. I know it's the difference of like six or so picks, but if you, Matthew Wood's there at like 19 and you can get him, then I think you're you're starting to make, you're putting packages together for that. But yeah. mid-20s, I think you're right, Brad. I think there's just going to be guys, the tiers are, are going to blend in there. Uh and I also agree on on the second round picks. I have no problem with making all of them. I think that'd be fun as hell, uh, and you can see what they can do with it. And you can walk away with like really three like three really fantastic prospects. I will say this as a, a word of warning: do not put together your ideal scenario for what those three picks are. I promise you, it will never go that way. The second round, in terms of certainty, is like as certain as a seventh round in my mind. Like it just everything opens up so much after pick like what twenty twenty five in the NHL draft. Uh, but in general, there's a lot of opportunity to trade. I think the Red Wings could do really, really well by doing so. It's not a guarantee. There needs to be two players. And, and you know, Danny Breer doesn't seem like one who can have the wool pulled over his eyes very easily. So it's not like they can just steal Konechny. Uh, but I would like to see a Debrinket on this team. I would like to see a Konechny on this team or, or make some kind of move to make the Red Wings better now. And I want my cake and eat And I want to have my cake and eat it too. And I want to keep pick nine. The high-end talent is just too good there. So I have to imagine, you know, Philly's going to be asking for nine 
Ottawa is going to be asking for nine for Debrinket or Konechny. I think 17 is is perfectly reasonable if they unless Detroit gets heavily outbid. You guys I'm, I'm assuming both of you guys are comfortable with 17 moving in those trade packages. How would you feel about moving nine? No. Mm-mm. For an NHL player right now. Like a Debrinket or a Konechny. It's going to be have to be a lot better than those guys. So I, I don't even think like if I'm on Ottawa's or Philly's side, I'm asking the same thing. For oh, sure. for sure. And I don't even know that it's necessarily like out of range, but I, I think Detroit is better served hanging on to it. The potential for trade is really high and you can go in a lot of directions. And like those second round picks are really valuable. Like those are really 41, 42, 43, like really strong second round picks. Detroit can make some noise on, on the acquiring NHL players front here. Also, we've mentioned, mentioned in previous episodes, trade back, trade into different drafts, et cetera, et cetera. You can go a lot of ways. Who are you know, some ideal but realistic scenarios for the second round picks in your mind who you would like to see the Red Wings look at, understanding that it's never going to shake out this way. Um, Man, looking at my list of guys that I could see maybe getting that low, uh, Oscar Fisker Molgard is intriguing. Um, You know, I'm a big fan, obviously covering Kitchener, of uh, Brustevich and Raycop for different reasons. Just Brustevich is a right shot defenseman. High, high, high hockey IQ. Um, if he was just a little bigger and played with a little more pace, he, he's a surefire first rounder. If you liked Anthony Mantha, you'll like Carson Rakoff. He has that talent level, but like the game in, game out compete. But if the Red Wings think they can get some motivation with him, the talent is, you know, top 20 all day, but it's not. I don't know. Like, I don't even hate the idea of taking Robble there if if he falls into there just to have a safe the goalie. Yeah, fail safe if uh, Kosa doesn't pan out because um, he he's going to be in that range. Man, you know, if Molendijk falls or one of the offensive defensemen like Dragasevich and you want to take a swing, I, there's there's going to be a lot of guys there. I don't love the second round for forwards because I think they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. By the time the Red Wings pick rolls around, like, I don't think Brindley will be there. I don't think uh, Bradley Nadeau will be there. Um, otherwise, those would intrigue me. You never know. Maybe they, maybe one of the big physical, you know, athletic type guys like a Stramel falls to them uh, at that spot or um, Danny Nelson from the NTDP. And you want to work with that, you know, physical skill set and see what kind of uh, mold you can make out of that. But I don't know. It's interesting because, again, it's so wide open in the second round that uh, it's hard to really pin it down. I think Stramel, I think, uh, you know, guys like Stenberg, they're trending in the wrong direction where I would have hoped they would have gone to the second round before, but I I just don't know that it's going to go that way. Oliver Bonk, probably the same. Oh, he's not getting there. Yeah, I agree with you on Brindley. I don't think he'll get there, but it would be nice. Dragasevich, Danny Nelson, those are guys that we talked about in our uh, mock draft, as, as well as Anton Wahlberg. Uh, I don't hate the Rabel idea uh, to grab a goalie, only if you're making multiple of the three second round picks, though. If yeah. it's your only second round pick, I'm not sure. I, lo- I actually don't love that. But if you're if you're making three and you want to spend one on a goalie as insurance for Kosa, yeah, yeah, please do. Uh, but there's uh, it opens up quite a bit. Uh, Haltunen is one of the guys that we took in the mock draft, which I, and Felix Nielsen is another one who I think would be uh, definitely really worth looking at. Uh, pretty much the mo, or the, sorry, the the this operating procedure is who do you want in the second round? Whoever falls out of the first round rankings, like there's probably a guy 
that either one of us have ranked, any one of us has ranked 15 to 20 that's going to be there in the second round. That's usually how these things go or somewhere in and around there. That's who I want the Red Wings to take. I remember having my 13th ranked prospect being available there for the Red Wings at like pick 45 or whatever it was. And then just watching him go on past the Red Wings. Yes. They say no thank you. Because that's what happens. And uh, that has aged very poorly for the Red Wings, but I digress. So with three picks, it's going to almost undoubtedly be two guys that you've never heard of. And then someone where you're like, I thought they can get him in the third round, but that's how NHL. No, 200 foot player, limited ceiling and a left shot defenseman. I feel it in my bones. (laughs) <laughs> hey, if you go all upside at picks 9 and 17 and you want to take some safety picks in the second round, be my guest. Yeah, no, I can't wait until the safety picks in the first round just because I'm going to like the players and hate the philosophy because that's how, you know, not that Eisenman has ever thought this way historically, but I just, I don't think we're allowed to be happy. You're not, certainly not. No, so now we know how the draft's going to go. Yeah. So that is our probably too long, but uh, all-encompassing Mostly a look at the first round uh, uh, coverage of the 2023 NHL draft. What's next is on Wednesday night, we are going to be live streaming youtube.com slash winged wheel podcast. Subscribe, hit the little bell. I don't know. I don't do the YouTuber spiel very well, Uh, but we'll be going live with pre-draft coverage and then live first round coverage of the NHL draft. Uh, Obviously talking about every pick, including the Red Wings up to two or potential two picks could be more, could be less. We'll see what trades come through. Uh, this one's going to be wide open as evidenced by how long this episode is. So we could talk actually probably for another hour here, but why don't we jump into overtime and take some more qu- draft questions that way. Uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, you get access to the bonus episodes, the overtimes, uh, the bonus overtime episodes, the discord, and uh, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways and you help support the continued growth and production of this show our spinoff show, Expected by Whom, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashant Thayer, and our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, I'm currently packing for my trip to the draft in Nashville. It's my first, and I'm incredibly excited. I'm wondering if you guys have ever considered having a winged wheel draft takeover of an NHL draft. It's pretty clear you guys more than deserve a spot on Radio Row. That's the goal is to get out there. Um, I, I hope we're not too far away from that. So maybe in a future draft, uh, we're working on that with the league. So if anyone's listening who works for the league, we're, uh, we'd love to be there. Uh, to my question, what's the name Eisman can reasonably call at nine that will make you throw your remote at the television? Oh, I've learned my lesson from the past. <laughs> Just look in the camera and say the name. There will be no reaction. There will be stone face and go, hmm. If there's a if there's a name outside of who I had in the top 20, like they take Quentin Musty. The Red Wings still have a really great pro- prospect in Quentin Musty, but if they take him at nine, I'm going to say, you know, what the f***? Everybody I have in my top 13, I'm happy with. Everybody from my 14 to like 18, I'm I'm... I'm upset, but I understand. Anybody later than that's going to be a hmm. I'll say it. Simashev. Simashev at nine, and you'd be pissed. And I was the one who said he's huge. I like how he skates. Maybe there's offensive potential, but listen, at nine. Can't take it. Yeah. Can't take a left shot either. You can't. You can't. can't. I can't. I can't hear an argument where. I also had him at 19 for the record. Where someone like Dvorsky. I'll just say defenseman, Ryan Bacher and Sandy Pelka. Yeah. I just can't totally see the argument. 
Uh, Detroit Day Ed Ray Ingsway says, I'm just thinking of the immense amount of information and time pressure that must exist for team executives on the floor. Keeping track track of who's been picked, the team draft board, the timer fielding calls from teams looking to make a deal or just kicking tires and who knows what else. What do you guys think is the most underrated trait for a GM to have on the draft floor? What separates a good GM from a bad GM at the draft? Patience. I was going to say composure. (laughs) Patience. Don't, Don't overreact. Have your plan. Go into the day with your plan. Don't deviate from the plan. Have have game planned for a thousand different possibilities. I I'm gonna say underappreciated, and probably by me, but a, a GM who does what they have to do to get their guy. If you really believe in a player, move up, draft, reach for him, trade up for him, whatever. And I've criticized that specifically from the Red Wings when it's happened, and I've been right and I've been wrong. But a GM who does it, what I've learned over time is you have, if you have a guy, go out and get him. The um, Columbus Blue Jackets had on YouTube, like, you know, those behind the scenes videos. And they had one of the episodes was like the workshop, their draft scouting general management team uh, they were doing for the draft. It was the Shane Wright draft. And it was very interesting to see some of the conversation back and forth between different prospects and how they sort of. They didn't obviously tell you what their their ranking looked like, but um, it was interesting to see how they kind of slotted players in and built their list. Yeah, it, that behind the scenes is always really cool to see. Give Walman the Heart says, which draft prospect do you think has an equal chance to be taken before 9 or be available at 17? My answer would probably be Sandine Pelica, but curious what you guys think. Equal chance to be taken at 9 or available at before, 17? Before 9 or available at 17. I Matthew think you would. Yeah, that's a good one. I think Matthew Wood. I think Simashev's in there. Any, I think any of the defensemen. Benson. Yep. Yeah. Benson's definitely in that camp. Yeah, Benson's actually probably the most likely to slide around. Dan DeVries says, are there any specific outcomes from this draft that would make you genuinely angry? Obviously, asset mismanagement is a general answer, but any speculated trade scenarios you've heard proposed or picks that you really dislike for the Wings. You guys have done a great job showing a ton of routes the Wings could take that would be at least satisfactory, even if they wouldn't be the move you'd make. But what move would be the result? Uh, in the, would result in the creation of more memes for a trophy awards ceremony? <laughs> low, uh, low upside, middle six forward, and a left shot D. Um, trading, trading pick nine for uh, in an overpayment in a trade. But if it got you, you know, if it got you connect near or to brink it i wouldn't be you can't be upset that you get those guys and then taking someone with low upside with the other pick when there's higher upside players available not a huge fan of taking boring picks um so it could be you know taking someone who's considered the high floor type guy with a low ceiling i'll let you insert names evan big nate danielson guy yeah insert names as you will um and then, yeah, I think maybe a trade where the return isn't quite where I thought it would be, especially for nine. Uh, okay, only a couple more. Time for a couple more here. Joseph Barry says, should Detroit consider adding a, an Adam Boakfist or Jake Bean? Both are looking to be potentially odd men out in Columbus, and they're still relatively young. I feel like he's 26 now. Yeah. Wasn't he drafted in, like, the 90s? Didn't everybody want Jake Bean at some point? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's He's been on a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, if they're not good enough to crack Columbus's roster, yeah, I'm not super optimistic. Is it like a cheap reclamation project? Sure. Do I see Columbus letting them go, either of them go cheap? No. Okay, folks, that's our 2023 NHL draft preview. 
Uh, could we have covered more? Yes, absolutely. But we, we did cover more. <laughs> all right. See you later. I'm so happy this episode's ending right now. Uh, thank you all so much for listening again. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. We are going to be live streaming on Wednesday night. And for the patrons, all of our patrons on Thursday, we're going to be doing an all-day stream for rounds two through seven where we uh, hang out. Everyone can get on the call and uh, you see a little bit more of an unfiltered casual view, but uh, one that you're still going to have um, access to us for for all of the day two picks. Uh, but for now, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you're a new listener, welcome. I promise the episodes aren't usually this long. Uh, and if you're a listener, a returning listener, eighth time's a charm for draft coverage, I guess. Uh, but uh, appreciate you all so much. If you want to support uh, and go above and beyond, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Other ways you can support is by uh, subscribing to the podcast and leaving a ra- rating wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. It makes a big difference. Uh, to all of our listeners, thank you. To our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Raymond's Missing Tooth, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Carl Brutan and Analuski, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, uh, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Prashanth, the goalie truther, Ayer Zerman, RA Red Three, Ryan Big Brass Ones, Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you, Walman's Elite Dancing D, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army. Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan. A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Layton and Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Draft Night 2023, Four Dudes in the Dungeon Edition, starring Herlin, Tyler, Pastor Jake, Avs, Suck, Conrad, and All-American Reed, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, Jer- uh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Qualls, Claus, Linda Hull, Maximilian, <laughs> Melissa Erickson, that's what I get for reading Brad's text in the middle of this, <laughs> Norris Cider, Oophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Ryan Hanna's Big Brass Ones, <laughs> Steven Tatarsas, The Hodag, and The Hat123. Oh, also, your second favorite patron. Thank you all so much. It's draft time. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.